Hello. Hello, Heron. So, in the two minutes you asked me to wait, I have hurriedly written down a series of topics that I've been condensing through the week. Uh, I just wanted to find out where this Liz Swan recording is so I can listen to it. Oh, so it's in the Stone Ape feed, so it's in the XML feed associated with... So uh, if I the Stone Ape page... Yes. Uh, ...and just scroll down there somewhere... It's not on the page, I just put it in the feed because it isn't an entity yet... It's in the XML file, so you click on the XML feed. I have no idea what you're talking You remember who you're talking to, you know? Well, Heron, <laughs> I'll, I'll pass you the audio after the recording if okay, you're interested. Okay, yeah yeah. yeah, yeah, I'd like to listen to it. Yes. Yeah, okay. I think it's it's becoming something that is in and of itself. I think given maybe three or four recordings, we'll get into our stride. It's certainly not Stone Ape in any way, shape, or form. No, it's you and her instead exactly. of you and me. Yeah. <laughs> Entirely also, different process. Also, the feedback that I've received is distinctly different. And it's as, because I put it in the Biota feed, there were Biota people who contacted me and said, we really need to have this as a kind of continuation of the Biota discussions as well. Ah, okay. In terms of thought experiments, um, there are some interesting, I don't know, nuances there. I think Liz is interested in it being more lighthearted and upbeat than kind of deep philosophical thought experiments. And my assumption through, you know, recording two of these things now, but in particular last, the last one, is that the tone has been set in that light. And I'm certainly not going to try to, you know, get unnecessarily deep in the future. I think there's probably a need, as she's asked for, to have periodic guests come on board as well. Um, and certainly there's no shortage of folk that want to, you know, come come in and talk. So, yeah, yeah I think it's probably going to become a podcast in and of itself. And it will, you know, within four or five recordings, we'll, we'll have picked a name and it will exist somewhere. And we're going to yeah. do it every two weeks, maybe every three, if one of us has the sniffles. And we'll work through it all. So. Cool. I think Liz is in an interesting position. So you've done two. Yes. So far. And, yeah. and you're going to give me links to both of those. Yes. Yes, yeah, certainly. Okay. Yeah. Uh, and certainly the feedback that I've received so far has been uh, pretty positive. There's been some discussion associated with virtual reality technology. I was very mindful. The first one was a bit negative for my ears. And I think we talked about this a little bit last week that I yeah. decided to try and it, Unfortunately, the second one, I was floating along with this upbeat thing, and then Liz mentioned Jerry Linear, and it kind of spiraled a little bit down. So I'm going to be mindful in the future that, you know, the tone will need to be set accordingly. But I think Liz actually likes those kind of digressions as well, so it'll work itself out. She currently is um, an editor in a book associated with computer forensics, and she's asked me to write a chapter for that, which I've agreed to write. But it's I kind of pro I promised myself I wouldn't write any more academic chapters, but I've decided I'll have to do this. And the Crunch book is also an intro. John Draper himself contacted me this week and asked for some photographs and said he was more than happy for me to have a byline on the book, and we'll just see how it pans out. But uh, so yes, I've got these writing things that are going on in parallel. You may recall, I think we've talked about it for two recordings now, but I gathered together a small group of listeners to create a, I don't know, a feedback group. And through the week, I started receiving their feedback. It's curious, Heron. I'm, I'm, <laughs> I'm pondering how Wait, I should actually approach this. 
Oh, this is going to be good. Actually, it's funny that you interrupt me when I say that, because that was one of the lead things, was they have this, li- this list of things that they, interrupting you. that they don't like <laughs> about the podcast, and the uh, interruptions is one of them. They'd like to, the to talk to... The fact that I interrupt you. Well, the fact that we interrupt each other. The, the, no, I don't think there's any kind of pointing on, fingers here. That's what you do when you talk. We interrupt each other. So, having received this list of things, I realised that they're actually looking to listen to a different podcast. Like, That's Stone right. Ape is yeah. not the podcast yeah. they should, should be, be listening should be to if they don't like people interrupting yeah, each other. Yeah, right, yeah, give me a right. <laughs> and also, they talked about... We just lost 50 people off the thing. <laughs> the list of demands that they had were actually really very curious and left me a bit stunned because I don't think... I mean, I, tr- I pleaded initially. I didn't even really plead. I just said, do you understand how difficult it is to even format this thing with quite coherent topics and work through it every week. Um, they weren't hearing any of that. They said, you know, will we stop listening when the interruptions get too much? And then they were talking about how I think underneath this, and this I actually found ah. almost childlike, was the notion <laughs> that you and I hold important answers to questions in their lives that we are not giving them in the current uh, format. Oh, really? <laughs> and I thought, well, I do. <laughs> <laughs> But they're just not prepared to get it. Well, they're not prepared to actually... The, the fact that this thing is not going to be delivered to them in a sermon that they can take away and digest. The fact that actually yeah. they have to listen to a number of podcasts in order to glean bits of information and yeah, the imperfections are as yeah. much a well, part but see, of Maybe it. they'll learn that. See, this is an opportunity for them to learn that. Yeah. Well, let's hope. If they're still listening, because they probably don't. We've already interrupted anymore. each other enough. <laughs> They've already switched it off. Put the podcast down. One of the points that was made that I want to make very clear was, although I riffed last recording with you, associated with sponsors and mm. you know donors and all this kind yeah. of stuff. If if that thing were to happen, it wouldn't. I mean, from my perspective, at least, as the person who edits us and puts this audio up. I can't, I, I mean, firstly, I don't think we could find sponsors, both in terms <laughs> no, I don't of think we could, But if we did, yeah. I'm not going to change anything, and you exactly. probably aren't either. Yeah. So Which, if anybody wants to give us some money, cool. But <laughs> we'll having, take it. Having said that also, we're not going to, I'm, I feel distinctly uncomfortable. In fact, one of the commenters noted associated with my salary, which apparently you can find on Glassdoor and these kind of places, I, Anyway, they noted that they, it would be obscene for me to start asking for money, and I said I agreed wholeheartedly with that. So, if people, no, but it's not you; it's them. It's supporting the podcast. That's an entirely different thing. Well, that's it's not, not, the way not they about. See it. Well, fuck them. <laughs> you know, if that's that's no, fuck, no, I don't mean that. Excuse me. I mean they're entitled to their uh, way of thinking about it. Yeah. You know, and uh, there are many ways to think about it. None of them are the way it really, really is. Yeah. They're just the way you think about it. Yeah. So, I said... It's so simple. Yeah. I see, and, and I needed to interrupt you to say that. So. Very good. All right. I do joke periodically associated with people interpreting my behavior to go completely, you know, 180 and then say, aha! That's the point. <laughs> that sounds really like this, you know, and yeah. I don't know what more I could do. I mean, I say this enough that if people seem to think that I'm trying to, you know, make this into some kind of Gap commercial or well, where do you shop Ralph's, Kroger's, what have you, <laughs> it's not going to be happening. Well, I, listen, I could even see, I yeah. could even see me reading a commercial. Honestly, yeah. I could do that. Um, but as long as I can say anything I want to on both sides of that, yeah. 
then I, I got no problem. If somebody wants to support something I'm doing yeah. and that, and they want me to read a message yeah. to get it out there, I'll be happy to do that. But I'm a whore. <laughs> <laughs> You've already had some of this experience with your art, though, right? I mean, some of the people who contributed for your art were probably Stone Ape listeners, I'm assuming, maybe, potentially. Uh, well, who knows? Yeah, so... Yeah, but I mean, I don't, I don't understand how the relation, some of this, I don't know, what did, how does that fit in? I'm, well, I'm just saying I'm that in, in doing this, you may be getting, you know, things that you cannot correlate in any meaningful sense, but it's associated with you getting some benefit back from this kind of interaction anyway, but you can't correlate it. <laughs> Man, I must have already had way too much wine. <laughs> Anyway, I'm really trying to understand that. You're talking about this art thing I got mm -hmm. going at the gallery mm -hmm. and the fact that people have put up money to mm -hmm. sponsor these things. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Okay. You're putting it together, Heron. And you've talked about it in the podcast and you've asked people yeah. for the podcast. And, yeah. you know, of the people, maybe some of them have come through the podcast, but we don't know. I mean, well, we yeah, don't. yeah, I don't know. Well, I, they're on Facebook, whether they're, they listen to here or not. Yeah. Uh, you know, I, I suspect a few of them do. Yeah. Anyway, five people. Yes. Uh, well, four people came sponsoring five pictures. Very good. One person sponsored two. And we'll see whether or not they get a, a the consolation prize of the cash mm -hmm. or they get the actual art. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but I don't know. I mean, I'm, I'm in two minds with this group. I think the stuff that they've talked about so far is stuff that in How many stuff, responses did you get? Seven total. To there were seven people to, on it. To interrupt you again. And uh, <laughs> of the seven, a majority of the folks are, in fact, all the folks I have known of, um, some of them are, you know, frequent contributors. I mean, Connor Sites Bowen is one of the members of the group. Uh -huh. I think, and Joe the drummer. Yeah, I wanted to respond well. to his question too. Ah, yes. Well, do you have Facebook up? Do you want to ask his question or? Oh, I've got his question right okay. here. Okay. Yeah. You know, I, I, I finally found a way to, well, never mind. I, you know, the integration between OS X and iOS is just awesome now. Mm. Uh, to, to be able to keep a document alive on both my iPad and on my Mac is just really nice, you know? Mm. Um, should I read what he wrote? Why not, Harold? Okay. Okay. Um, he says, um, there are only stories and no one truth. But there are certain stories that are more fully formed than others. A 40-year-old story probably has qualities of depth and breadth that are, great, uh, that are greater than that of a 20-year-old's. Could you assign a name to this quality uh, of story? Is it an important metric? Well, in the best of instances, uh, I would name that quality wisdom. But in the majority of uh, instances, I would say it's the tar baby hmm. <laughs> that you get. The older you get, you're right. The story is definitely more elaborated, uh, more has more depth and breadth. It, it's inevitable. Well, it's not inevitable. It's not you, at all. No, but but uh, if you're paying any attention, well, even if you're not paying attention, j just having the older you get, the more experience you have, the more 
diverse uh, stuff you have to draw from, mm. and and it broadens you somewhat within within whatever constraints are still operating. Yeah, it's clearly different, but for most people, they just get more and more entangled in their story. Yeah, as, I think as they elaborate it, <laughs> they become more more involved. It's a tar baby. <laughs> yeah. No, I mean certainly the way I read the question, I didn't respond because I wanted to talk more about it here. Was I actually don't see the correlation between I I I can't see that just a procession of time gives the qualities that Connor was looking for. Primarily because Well, we don't know what his what he was looking for. You'd have to have a conversation with him to find out what he's looking for. Okay. But he chose some very abstract words that you can interpret any damn way you want to. Well, let's explore how I interpreted them, and then we can okay. Talk yeah, now we're that. really talking about your interpretation than on anything he well, might except, have said. Well, except he makes references which reinforces his meaning. It's well, not just he he put together some mathematical formulae and said QED. He actually described. Did a, I not write, read the whole thing, or was was there more than what I just wrote? Well, there was what a discussion. Let's said. ignore the discussion. Let's just take oh, it okay. as the question that he asked. Yeah, right. That's all, that's all I had yeah. to go on. So. There are gross generalizations that can be made in all cases here, but I can certainly see in within a standard deviation of the center the possibility of a 20-year-old who has traveled heavily, has had a variety of experiences, and a 40-year-old who has, you know, lived within the same community with a tightly wound story that has been presented oh, to yeah. that person. Yeah. In fact, the, no, these think, are statistics. Yeah. That's all. Amongst those statistics, I think age is the least important. And I think, from my perspective at least, someone's age does not correlate with the kinds of things that Connor was talking about. For the most part, I I think you're right. But again, you're really talking about your story, not anything about Connor, what Connor was saying. I'm talking about people I've met, people I've talked to. No, 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 I agree with you. Yeah, it's, it's, although I do, I I think it is important for some particular dimensions. It it makes a lot of difference to me when I'm talking to somebody, whether they're 20 or whether they're 40. Well... Okay. I mean, when I'm count, I should say when I'm counseling yes. somebody, <laughs> you know, because at 20, you know, I don't care how fucking experienced you are. You're a baby, you know, there are, and maybe not, maybe you're not, but if you're not, you are one in a million. Mm. And, uh, and that's entirely possible. So you, you got to be open to that, but you will be right <laughs> when you assume if you're talking to a 20 year old that, uh, well, that they're, t- they're different than 40 year olds. You can talk to them different. I can, yeah, not you. This is again my experience mm-hmm. I'm talking about is that it, it makes a big difference though for me. Yeah. Again, it's very difficult to do a surveying because certainly when we've talked previously, I've realized how divergent our experiences have been particularly associated with meeting people in the general public, having relatively normative <laughs> conversations and these kind of yeah. you know, interactions. I certainly wouldn't attribute... I mean, I think age is really a secondary property. Uh, obviously, there are certain generalizations that can be made, but I don't uh, equate age with wisdom. Uh, no, I think that's no, a, that's no, a, no. I, that's, and even neither do I. Terms. No, yeah. I agree with you completely. Yeah. You know, wisdom comes with a... Uh, a continual search for meaning throughout life. Yes. And other than that, you just get old and stupid. Yeah. 
Although that's actually, see, you can see the, how that made sense uh, 500 years ago or 1,000 years ago because really nothing ever changed. So the yeah. oldest guy around is, probably did know more about at least you know, what's been going on than anybody else yeah. if he wasn't senile. Yeah. You know? So there, the, the fact that the world didn't change every five years uh, meant that you could actually just having a memory <laughs> equated to wisdom. <laughs> so but that doesn't work anymore. There's an important point here, which I'll make back to Connor, specifically, that if I interact with someone who asks questions and has some degree of, not necessarily insight, but at least a means of finding out more information, who's intellectually curious, who, you know, has a depth of understanding in at least one area to indicate that they've dived, you know, boots and all into something. That, I think, is far more important than age. Uh, that's an important point, that idea of having done something. Yeah. You know, anything. Yeah. <laughs> it doesn't really make any difference what, but to be so interested in something that you uh, maxed it out. Exactly. Yeah. Now, sometimes it's a form of autism. And you have oh, to clearly, say, or, or, uh, <laughs> or OCD. OCD is a, I mean, yeah. that's, so, again, I've self-diagnosed with that, but it's, yeah. it's also autistic too. You're right. So, I mean, maybe we are, you know, you're talking to two very particular people here, Connor, when you ask that kind of question. And of course. <laughs> yeah, but he, listen, he's yeah. hanging around with us. He's yeah. one of us. Yeah. <laughs> We're not looking for good left. or good looks in these kind of interactions. So, yes. It is curious, but age for me is not a... In fact, what interests me is the occasional people I meet who are young and have this interest. Oh, absolutely. This depth. That's awesome. Because I think projecting them to be the 40-year-old, any impact, any insight... Because as a collector of information, when I find people like that, I feel a kindred spirit that I have to bestow as much of my yeah. baggage and garbage and information <laughs> with the view that they will probably discard most of it, but they'll find yeah. through this mess pile, you know, the two or three bits of information that they may need going forward. Yeah. See, my my approach to them is to just start asking the kinds of questions that are <laughs> that that lead them to figure things out. Yes. But it, but it's hard to get that position with them to do that. Yes. Yeah, it's a very interesting experience finding the kindred spirit. And it's something that I look for. And it may well be a hallucination, too. Well, certainly, but also <laughs> you, you need to, I mean, you have to have, a, you can't kind of dump everything down immediately. You've got to kind of give some, you know, intellectual interplay. But when you find those kindred spirits, you know, you have the ability to interact with them. But that's why I'm here. Yes. That's why I'm on the internet. <laughs> is to because I know that there are kindred spirits out there, and I won't meet them at Starbucks. Yeah. I mean, I, they might be there at the same time as me, but I'd never know it. Yeah. You yes. know. So if we're going to get together, I don't know any other place we can do it. Certainly. So through the week, aside from talking with Liz Swan, I talked with Bruce Stamer. And this conversation has been a long time coming. In fact, we worked out that it had been about a year since we had last spoken. Bruce historically has been someone who I've been relative, I mean, out of everyone that I've communicated with, I've been relatively close to Bruce, but there's been certain elements of, kind of parasitism in our um, friendship going back many years, which I kind of just associate with, you know, my friendship with Bruce. 
More interestingly, particularly after his appearance on Joe Rogan, there's a kind of ongoing discussion amongst me and others in the biota community associated with what the biota community is if the founder of the community doesn't really have any kind of... Is he the founder of the community? That's what he... Uh, at every inter- well, I mean, is that, is that everyone's interpretation? No, that he not is- at all. No, no. Okay. But he's, it is associated. But that's his with- his story is that he is the founder yes. of yes. the yes. of the of yes. the what? What is biota the founder? community? The yes. biota community. Yes. He is the founder. Yes. Okay, and you're saying he he's not the founder. He may be a founder. Well, it's interesting actually because when we initially talked, he mentioned a woman who I have known periodically, uh, who was assistive through the early years of Biota, but became so angry and really violently angry with Bruce <laughs> and his ways um, that she distanced herself from the community. And in fact, for a period of time, uh, in fact, I'm more friendly with her husband because her husband is an AI researcher in games. And when I came back to this country in 2005, he actually gave me some work, which was very beneficial at the time because I was living in Las Vegas and there's nothing going on in Las Vegas. So I've maintained a friendship with this woman up until um, the incident with uh, Douglas Adams' widow and uh, Richard Dawkins, at which point she said that I was burning bridges. I didn't really understand how I was burning bridges when Dawkins was you know, ripping off biota transcripts and pumping them full of ads, but apparently I was burning bridges at that period. She, you know, kind of volatile character anyway. I don't think I'm currently friends with her on Facebook. I think she's dropped off that communication. Anyway, Bruce and I chatted uh, for about an hour and a half, and we covered a number of topics. The concluding... Do you have a recording of it? Yes, I do, but I'm... Yeah, I'm but, but it's not going to be published. It's not going to be published for a number of reasons. Yeah, in I fact, understand. I, I've got a lot of recordings yeah. I don't publish. And <laughs> it's not going to be published in large part because I felt... Um, Bruce has just returned from uh, Peru. He's been going down periodically uh, for these ayahuasca um, ceremonies. <laughs> he didn't get it the first time, huh? Well, uh, <laughs> it's interesting, actually, because he... There are so many levels to this thing that it's difficult for me to kind of decompress it, but I'll I'll try to. (laughs) He is very critical of um, orally smoked DMT. Listen, I I don't want to hear this shit. (laughs) I don't really give a shit what he thinks. Exactly. You know, really, yeah, who cares? Anyway. So I had to, I had a series of kind of curious roundabout discussions with him associated with the, the metaphysics of DMT. In yeah. particular, if, it, if the only way he describes it, and he's done this already on Joe Rogan's podcast, is creating these kind of metaphysical deities that he interacts with, the Modre, which is like a, a giant mother spirit and various <laughs> other things. And I yeah. made the point to him, is he actually creating a theology associated with these experiences? And he talked about a few incidents, one in particular that caught me. I've spent a long period of time, as you have, maybe different times, what have you, camping out in the middle of nowhere without any yeah. human contact. And after a few days, and we've both noticed this, you do become a different creature. Absolutely. You return to your monkey. It's the third morning. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, it's something like that for me as well, actually, which is why I resonate very heavily. And particularly in the evenings, if you have to do any moving around, you realize that your senses are not 
you you get um ex- almost extraneous senses in that capacity. I mean, in California, there are all kinds of rustling and potentially large predatorial creatures out there. In Australia, <laughs> not so much, but you can certainly catch yourself being spooked a little bit. Yeah. And I, listen, I was sleeping in the desert one mm-hmm. time, and there were a group of coyotes mm. around. Uh, I, I don't really know. I mean, desert sound is weird. So, mm. but they were quite a ways off, and there were at least two, maybe three. I don't know. Mm. But they were moving around for like an hour, yeah. you know, all around, and they appeared to be getting closer. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and I'm laying there in my sleeping bag, you know, thinking, hmm, mm. <laughs> you know, but luckily nothing uh, happened, you know. Yeah. <laughs> but, <laughs> so at one point in the conversation, I appealed to Bruce that I had had without any, you know, without any hallucinogens, I'd had experiences in the wilderness where, you know, I heard auditory things and felt, you know, this kind of feeling around me. But I never attributed it to a forest spirit or these kind of things. And yeah. I guess the conclusion of the conversation was... Yeah, it's the story. See, that's exactly. why... It's yeah. What story are you going to attach yeah. to your experience? Yeah. Yes, very much so. And also... And if you start confusing you, that your story is the way it is, as opposed to just your story about mm. your experience, then you're lost. Yes, the Occam's razor element was certainly at play, and I appealed to him at various points to, I don't know, not necessarily drop the facade, but just to at least acknowledge that his own cognitive abilities had just as much, you know, he was there with other Listen, people. Let me, let me stop for a second. Isn't it really, I mean, isn't it, that's one way of framing it, but I'm, about the story, mm. getting getting him to admit that this is your story about your experience. It's not your experience. Your experience is ineffable, is unspeakable, mm. unwritable. What you've done is you've taken your experience and turned it into a story, and this is your story, mm. right? Not the way it is. Mm. If, if you can just get them to that point, uh, and how can they not agree with that? <laughs> Well, this is where it got rather interesting. And I guess I concluded, it was funny because historically when I've met Bruce, like for example, a year and a half ago where we met just for lunch randomly, I've had an opportunity to sit opposite him and for us to converse about a variety of topics. He, in this discussion, he felt, um, cognitively fragile. And he had which fr- discussion is the this? most recent one that we had this week, oh, yeah. and it was a fragility that I associated with a close friend who did acid, solid amounts of acid for periods of time. That the intellectual, the sharp intellectual bite that I would normally get with conversations, the insights, the dynamism was dulled, and this left me with a sense of it was good to talk to him. It was certainly good to resolve some of the, although we didn't really resolve the issues with Biota, we just agreed that i would continue to do what i'm doing with biota and we would continue i would continue to do yeah you're gonna do what you're gonna do he's gonna do what he's gonna but he's not going to do it with any degree of publicity or impact going forward i think that's well we'll we'll see (laughs) well i think that's pretty clear yeah well whatever you know what anyway it's really not relevant is it well it is relevant because my view is through a small period of time where he did externally talk about biota we did get more people into the discussion through that. 
In reflecting now three or four days after the conversation, I'm starting to wonder if the benefit of getting people into the discussion with the way in which he's talking about, yeah. you know, mother spirits and jungle spirits and these kind of things, whether that will actually bring <laughs> people into the conversation that will, you know, be doing Well, they'll be gone if they're not. Yes. You know? Yes. Yeah. No so, I, it's certainly... Yeah, it's good. It's always good mm. to have new people, mm. you know, and it's yeah. good to get rid of them as soon as possible if they're not <laughs> the right one. Yeah. But I guess because I've known Bruce for now about 15 years, it is a, you know, it is a periodic relationship and we corresponded since I provided him some additional information. He's talking in Australia for three months on the Ellicinian Mysteries. He's going to various discussions. He's just published some audio on the Ellicinian Mysteries, but he's missed some of the Al I, I'm, audio. I'm not up on the uh, Ellicinian Mysteries. So uh, there was a place called Eleusis, which was in ancient... Or Mesopotamia, yes. let's say. <laughs> yeah. No, no, it's, I, I think it's Roman times because it was eliminated, um, uh, but a lot of it has Greek overtones. But I'm not sure of the period, aside from the fact that it ended, I think, in the 3rd century I AD. I just like saying Mesopotamia. Yes. Because <laughs> it's currently a mess, right? But, anyway, the, the Eleusinian Mysteries were something that people did once through their lives, and they went to this retreat for want of a better term and it looks like they probably drank some ergot beer or something like that yeah, it's not okay. clear what they did yeah okay but through this they a bunch had of fucking the... hippies it exactly. was a woodstock exactly it was yeah. woodstock for ancient yeah right and <laughs> this was talked about associated with not necessarily being a rite of passage but just that it built the social fabric or at least this yeah. is obviously mckenna's interpretation this was some important part of their that that particular culture well it's important enough that you don't know about it <laughs> i mean this is where it gets very curious i think mckenna yeah. obviously people who well, are a lot of things that that are when you when you learn about them are obviously true like about easter <laughs> you yes. know and that is a real eye opener for most christians yes <laughs> well any yeah moving on from that so the Ellicinian Mysteries are a topic that McKenna was rather fond of rapping on. The scholarship on it is relatively thin on the ground. There are half a dozen yeah. scholars that have written about it. Okay, ah, and McKenna has talked about it mm -hmm. too. Okay, yeah. well, it must be true then. Yes, most definitely. <laughs> he, was, he was a collection of a great number of truths that he presented to all of us in a short period of time. So Bruce is now rapping on this, and it's interesting because when he, when you may have missed this in the discussion with Joe Rogan, Joe Rogan is very well versed on McKenna, and knew McKenna's rap associated with the Ellicinian Mysteries, therefore Bruce's rap, <laughs> which is kind of sub-McKenna because he hasn't yeah. listened to the McKenna stuff on the Ellicinian Mysteries, yeah. was pulled apart quite quickly. In fact, one of the points I made to Bruce was that he really did underestimate Joe Rogan in terms of his intellectual ability and also the fact that he's a martial artist. So a lot of his intellectual moves are actually associated with martial arts moves. I said to Bruce, you know, you could tell when he was being, Bruce was being thrown to the ground and this kind of stuff, just by the way Rogan interacted with him. But, um, so I passed Bruce the McKenna associate with the Ellison Mr. Rogan would be fun, you know? Yeah. He would be a fun guy to talk with. Yeah. It's interesting because I'm starting to realize I've done a surveying of the people that appear on his podcast. Yeah. A small group of them are actually really interesting. 
And almost all of them have podcasts, and I think they're all part of the same podcast network, aside from the MMA fighters. So there seems to be a tight circle, and what I've done now is every time someone appears in his feed that has a podcast, I subscribe to their podcast. And if I like two or more of their episodes, one that I've found that I would recommend, particularly to the people that don't like interrupting and like ideas to be set out (laughs) in a a neat, orderly fashion, get your your podcatchers ready, it's called The Drunken Taoist. Podcast. And Dallas. It's, yeah, it's an Italian and American uh, rapping on very specific and very well laid out topics. Um, the Italian guy is an actor, but also has studied some philosophy. His father uh, is slash was a philosopher. Um, and it's quite interesting. It's Stone Ape esque. However, they don't interrupt each other, and they're very polite about how they frame it. I think they're both... It's uh, actually probably somewhat scripted and produced, I would Possibly imagine. so. They certainly... Yes, I think it probably is. I've listened to a couple of them, and I was actually pleasantly surprised by the format. And I'm always looking for new podcasts. Yeah. But a majority of the people that appear on Rogan's, um, that have podcasts, the comedians that appear, their podcasts are really very, very curious slash questionable lots of low audio lots of inside jokes you listen to about 20 minutes and you've discovered absolutely nothing about the people aside from the fact that most of them are financially destitute which is an interesting (laughs) like framing um but yeah, it's interesting, this whole claims from... Well, authority. most of everybody is today, big deal. <laughs> yeah. I, I, it's interesting, actually. I mean, certainly the commentary associated with earning and this kind of stuff is very... I mean, I, I just like a good conversation. I don't know anything about these drunken Taoist folk, aside from, you know, the limited exposure I've had to their podcast. But I'll listen to more because... They appear, or at least the Italian guy appears to be very well read. The Italian guy's name is Daniel, and he appears to be very well read, and he also has considered a number of the things that we have considered here. Uh, and I thought to myself, you know, this is a podcast that I will certainly humour. They do do interviews, and I didn't listen to any of their interviews. The interviews could be poor to, I don't know, but it's certainly out of Joe Rogan's guests. Um, that is one podcast that I've connected with. Well, you know, I don't know much about him. I've, mm. you know, I've, people have given me links and I've heard him talking, to, you know, to various people. Mm. And I always, uh, I, I don't know, I just sort of like the guy. He's, uh, yeah, that's yeah. about all I can say is I, I like his attitude. <laughs> I said to Bruce, Bruce is planning on going back and talking to him about once a year. And I said, I thought that was ill-advised. I would go back and talk to him at least three or four times a year. In fact, every time Bruce is down in LA, I think he should try to get on. Um, with the view that Bruce and he, you know, clearly have some degree of rapport and it would create more content. Uh, it would also probably thin out some of the MMA fighters and some of the, you know, comedians with poor podcasts that come on. <laughs> Uh, and Bruce was receptive to that, but he did make it relatively clear, in fact, almost, almost, you know, silence-worthy clear, that he is not going to promote anything associated with Biota, associated with me, associated with ideas that we've wrapped on previously. And I kind of felt comfortable about that because I realized yeah. that Bruce is framing a new community. Yeah. He has the option to talk about all these things yeah. coherently. Yeah. Um, but you know, he's decided in this circumstance. And I think that being well defined, explicitly defined, yeah. enables me to frame my friendship with yeah. Bruce going forward. Yeah, absolutely. He's doing what he's doing and Certainly. you're doing what you're doing. Exactly. And, and they're different. You know, if you have any reason to communicate, yeah. then you will. Yeah. <laughs> well, historically, I mean, certainly through his PhD, he utilized me very heavily and it was sufficiently heavily that it was noted by a couple of other people around me that, you know, I was providing information for Bruce that, you know, 
I was an advisor on his PhD, but, you know, I was in constant communication with him. He was constantly providing me with audio and I was providing him feedback accordingly. I mean, obviously in the past two years that hasn't continued. He is speaking at SETI on January 20th and I'll certainly go and see that. And we've said, I mean, you know, I've got a space here. He's about 30 minutes away from me uh, and I have other business to do in his part of the world. So I'll probably go up and visit him sometime uh, before he heads to Australia. But when I say that I moved to this part of the world in large part because I had people like Bruce Damer close by, it, at the time it was certainly a, a truth. Yeah. Um, but, you know, as things have, have progressed, I've had to find <coughs> my own feet. My spiritual advisor's done far better than I have in this light. Although, truth be told, and Stone Ape listeners they are, there's a train club, a model rail club, about 10 minutes walk from my abode. And I went down there on Saturday morning and shook a bunch of hands and wrote a check for them. So I'm now a pro probationary member of the Silicon Valley Lions Train Club, which was quite curious because I spent most of the time just talking with the fellows about podcasting. I'm supposed to, funnily enough, they meet tonight and every Friday night, but they meet until midnight. So the plan is one of these nights when I shut off with you, I'll just wander down and they're going to be open until midnight. So I'll just hang out with them. Yeah, cool. But yeah, it's interesting to, I'm not much of a joiner of anything. I mean, I like to frame the way that I interact with organizations and I just thought this is ridiculous. With what I do with Model Rail Radio, I should be a member of the local train club. It makes no sense for me not to be. Um, So well, no, I'd, I'd say you could justify that any damn way you want. Well. And you'd be right. The listeners responded very well to the fact that I joined the local train club. Well, that's, okay, that's that's another story. <laughs> you know, again, it, it's about weighing all these stories. Yes. Based on last recording, I decided to keep my notes and my topics relatively short this evening. Also, through the conversation with Bruce Damon, we did wrap along a lot of topics that I was able to provide, you know, immediate feedback with. And his commentary was that, uh, you know, my breadth of knowledge associated with esoteric things is a, you know, a skill to have and to keep honed. So with this in mind, I'm opening up the, uh, you know, next hour or two of Stone Age discussion for us to take in a wide variety of different directions as we see fit. In particular, also to annoy the small group of listeners that are now giving <laughs> constructive and in inverted commas feedback, because clearly if the answers come up through the next, uh, you know, period of time wrapping, it will be purely through the interaction between, you know, between us both, Heron, which I think actually is a large part of the Stone Age. You know, I haven't got a clue what the hell you're talking about, but it you sounds like, but it sounds like fun. And you're right. I you do need wine, need wine. And then I'm ready to go. Very good. Golly, I, I feel like a contestant on The Price is Right. In what regard? Well, I You mean, don't have breasts, do you? I mean, what... what? <laughs> <laughs> well, no, this is... You've built this up to be really exciting. Like, we're going to... This next hour is we're going to just talk about all this really crazy stuff. Well, so. you've, been, you've been saying that for the three previous recordings, and we have gotten into some pretty interesting areas. Really? Yes. Well, let's yeah. get into some some really interesting areas. So I'm up for it. We talked a little bit last recording, and I realized I actually enjoyed talking about it, which is why I'm returning to this, associated with our perspectives of um, sec- not even sexual ethics, sexual mores. Uh, and something that I found through that discussion that I missed saying explicitly, although I have said previously, is sex education and the dynamics of disease prevention and the fact that sex was associated with death in terms of the <laughs> education that was provided to me from a young age, I think probably dramatically warped 
script. What would oh, yeah. have probably be natural hedonism that you oh, experienced. Yeah. No, into- no, I, I was warped too. I, you know, no, I was severely warped. Mm. I mean, we brought that was what the sixties. That was why we we did we did overthrow that. Yes. But but we uh, but we were brain damaged language monkeys. Well, we still are. Yeah. <laughs> But I'm interested, actually, in the disassembly of this, because I never really disassembled it. I mean, as we discussed, Mm -hmm. really, I maintain these kind of strict sexual mores through a period where I probably could have gotten laid considerably more and avoided (laughs) syphilis and the crabs. Maybe not the crabs, but, you know, maybe you've avoided some uh, AIDS, at least, I probably would have avoided, even though these were the things. There was no AIDS in it. It was, you know, yeah, the worst really, well, yeah, yeah. It just wasn't an issue, you know? It was just was not an issue. We were reckless as hell. I mean, mm. it, it, under today's circumstances, mm. it was extremely reckless. But shit, it was fun. <laughs> and I got away with it. So... <laughs> yeah. And your main entry into this was after you came back from Vietnam, when you had started attending college? Or when... I mean, when, well, when did you feel was, that you were there? Oh, well, I never felt like I was there. I still don't. Well, no, now I don't know. Somewhere along the line, I feel more or less comfortable where I am. But mm. that that didn't happen until in my, my 50s, maybe. Interesting. Or even, or even more recently than that. Interesting. <laughs> yeah, no, I've always felt, um, yeah, like uh, <laughs> something needed to be done. Yeah. And I still like that idea, but I'm not, I don't really, it doesn't, you know, it's a good idea. I like that idea, but it, it, it doesn't hold me anymore. I hold. But the notion of a sexual revolution, I mean, you I mean, felt, did you feel on some level that you were a sexual revolutionary through this period? No, I was just having fun getting laid. I mean, yeah, I was, well, no, I see, I was reading philosophy and Zen and all that shit and mm. meditating and, taking drugs and getting laid as much as possible. And it all just sort of worked together real nice. Mm-hmm. You know, um, I mean, yeah, I guess I understood on, yeah, I, it's hard. I have to think back on it. Cause I was keeping, uh, keeping a journal at some point during that time. Well, through the late seventies. Well, shit, I don't know. That's not, I, you know, that's better than I do. Well, so I know no- that you started your journal, I think, in the year that I was born, which was the late seventies. You didn't have a journal prior to then. Well, uh, you yeah, might have, but you yeah, didn't put it yeah. into the same format that you had your journal. Yeah, it started in seventy six. Yeah, yeah, which is the year I was born. Okay, yeah, that was when it started. Okay, so that's much. That's after a lot of this. Yeah, because the the good good hippie days were. The early, or the, I mean, the late, late sixties and early seventies. But you were in Vietnam, Vietnam in the late sixties. Yeah. Uh, 69 and 70, I think. Yeah. Yeah. Or 60. Yeah. 69. Anyway. Yeah. But for the years before that, I was living in Manhattan Beach. <laughs> I was in the Air Force, but I lived in Manhattan Beach. <laughs> and this was really the start of your awakening into being a sexual revolutionary. If I can call it that. What is the beginning? Well, no, it all began with Alan Watts, really. Yeah. I mean, it, my whole life began with that reading of Alan Watts. I mean, before that, um, is just <laughs> doesn't count. <laughs> I hadn't shown up yet. <laughs> but your experience with cannabis and hallucinations and these kind of things is prior to Watts. You know, it's about the same time, but I think, uh, yeah, I had been smoking grass. You're right. Yeah. So, yeah, I had discovered marijuana before I read Alan Watts. 
So that probably helped. Yes, because uh, the first time I smoked grass, I had this this huge hallucination. It was the most profound thing I'd ever experienced in my my whole life. Mm. You know, I mean, it was life changing. I mean, I, I experienced shit that was impossible. <laughs> yes. You know, and yet there it was. <laughs> just you know, um, that just absolute that fact I never really got over. The notion of a completely alternative universe that you had no experience well, no, of well, not so that much, point. Well, not so much an alternative universe is that um, – let me think about it. Well, for me is that there were things possible that I, that I would previously have thought were impossible. And, that, and seeing that those are possible now blows out all the boundaries. Mm. At least for me, that's what it did. Uh, it made me realize that I just don't know shit. <laughs> And from that point, you were very fertile for Alan Watts. Well, that's the place you start, man. Yeah. I mean, that's the best place you can start. Yeah. <laughs> it's like it's when you realize you just don't know what the fuck is going on. Mm. <laughs> and we talked about this a little bit, I think, probably in the first year that we recorded. But when you reflected then, your, I guess what's commonly called in the vernacular now, the game, your game, your game stepped up well after Watts. <laughs> I mean, you went into the you went into the bodega, the you know place that sold a wide variety of things and paperbacks, probably because your game wasn't really honed by that stage. You oh know. shit! No, I had no game. Exactly. I no, I had no game at all. I was trying to figure out what the fuck was going on. Yes. Yeah. Well, of course, I had the game. I had the the, the old game. I mean, the game I'd been running all mm. along. You know, a young. But I think guy. game in the new yeah. in the in the young folk vernacular is associated with the ladies primarily here, Heron. Not oh. associated with. Oh, the I was getting laid, not as much as I would like, but <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you know, it was. Yeah, yeah. The movie Blow has an account of Manhattan Beach as being like a central point for both beautiful women and, you know, kind of intellectually slightly it, nerdy guys of that period. It was an awesome. quantities of weed. So, it was, it was yeah. an amazing. Well, it wasn't just Manhattan. It was the whole South Bay. Certainly. The South Bay area. Hermosa, Manhattan. Yeah. Uh, but Manhattan Beach is, co- is called out. Well, that was the rich people. No, that's yeah. for, that was, that was the, that was, uh, where the money was. Yeah. <laughs> but even there, again, I could live in Manhattan Beach and I didn't have any money at all. Certainly. You know? So, uh, at that time, living in Manhattan Beach was possible. Hmm. Yeah, now, well, I don't know. I haven't even. Oh, been- I, I, since, since we had our little discussion of Manhattan Beach through the week, I looked up real estate prices in Manhattan Beach. <laughs> you can get a shack for just shy of a million dollars in Manhattan Beach. Most of the properties go for two and a half to six million dollars there now. Which and that's, is, and that's uh, how far from the water? That's, uh, uh, up to a, well, obviously it drops off the further you get from the water, but yeah. that's up to a mile back from the water. Yeah. So yeah, right on the strand is is where you want to live. So. Exactly. And the reason <laughs> the reason actually that your apartment is still there is probably because the land itself you couldn't actually buy the land, bulldoze it and build something new there and make any money. The old structures that are there actually hold a lot of the value ah, of the land. Interesting. Interesting. So it's interesting these environments where this kind of history is maintained purely for strange constructed <sighs> financial reasons. Yeah, yeah. Interesting. Now, I looked up at real estate both in Seal Beach and Manhattan Beach based on our discussions yeah. uh, through the week. Because I, I have a fondness for those beach communities. Yeah. I'm and, <laughs> yeah, it's always nice to have, you know, some hope for the future embodied in something. 
So, but yeah. Well, that's, I've been thinking about that too with that newspaper down mm-hmm. there. It's not a newspaper I'm involved with personally. It's mm-hmm. one of the newspapers that the company owns. Certainly. The Sun newspapers. Yeah. But it's a real, it really is a, a community newspaper. The rest of them are bullshit. Yeah. You know, they're just areas. <laughs> they're, they're not really communities. But Seal Beach really is a community. Mm. You know, I mean, it, it's, it's got borders. You either live in, you know, it, it's just real clear, you know, where Seal Beach is, mm. where it ends and where it ends. Certainly. <laughs> it's interesting because the, what you describe as the military testing grounds actually has, it's, it's zoned as an industrial area, but it's currently completely vegetated. It's, yeah, it's mostly swamp. Yeah. yeah, no, it, it has roads marked out for yeah. future industries, but there's yeah. nothing there. No, it's all swamp, yeah. mostly. Well, mostly swamp. Well, it, it was mostly swamp and, uh, well, I, I think, I don't think it really is the Naval Weapons Station anymore. I think it's something else it's now. It's space, yeah. It, it's been repurposed. Yeah. There used to be, uh, ships moving in and out of there all the time. It was the Naval Weapons Station, mm. what it was. Now, uh, I'm not sure what it is. It's zoned it, for industrial use, but it appears they haven't actually built on it. Yeah, so it's probably just mostly swamp land. Yeah. But, yeah. Yeah, great. <laughs> <laughs> frogs and herons can take it back. Yeah. Well, it's curious. And that's actually. what's happening, actually. Yeah. yeah. It was strange doing a Google, like a Google Street View wander around to both Manhattan Beach and also Seal Beach. Oh, I had such good times in that place uh, that Pynchon lived yeah, in for yeah. me. That was an awesome, weird place, too. It I was like it's a weird little space because the the bedroom was like half a level up from the rest of the thing it wasn't a full level yes i know what you're talking about yeah. two steps you know because the garage was right underneath it yeah. <laughs> and the ceiling was no was no higher there so part of the bedroom you could stand up in and part of the bedroom uh you you couldn't stand up in that was the bed mm-hmm. but that was cool because that turned into this sort of like grotto oh yeah it was yeah. awesome you know yeah yeah oh yeah i had some really great times in that place <laughs> <laughs> and it's funny that you mentioned pinchin because i thought he was older than when i actually you know looked him up associated with the address in manhattan beach he's about I, like 10 years older nine exactly so he's like late 70s now yeah no i assumed that he was because of obviously his connection with the second world war but i think what happened was that he he was in the military in the 50s and just all that yeah. second world war stuff and he must grew have up he was up conscious him. see i was born in 46 so yeah. i really wasn't conscious really? of war yeah. at all but 10 years old yeah. at that time uh the war dominates your your life yes. you know so it so dominated it, his writing yeah it's not unusual that that that, that would be so important to him but mm. and, and completely irrelevant to me mm. But yes, if he was an older writer, he probably also wouldn't have had the same kind of style. I mean, he wouldn't have been Tom Pinch. Exactly. <laughs> I don't know if you call his work psychedelic, but it certainly, you know, it fits in in terms of that broad, yeah, constructive yeah. narrative. You know, I haven't read that much of him. I, I read, uh, I think I read Gravity's Rainbow. I don't know. I just apparently didn't get it or whatever. I don't know. But I, I was not, but I, by that time I wasn't really into fiction anymore. Yeah. I'd rather just like say what you got to say, man. <laughs> <You know? laughs> Don't walk all around it. I mean, I have a better appreciation for fiction now, but I still feel sort of the same way. I, you know, I'm not sure just what the purpose of fiction is. Mm. I guess enter- is entertainment really enough? 
And then, what the hell is entertaining? Well, I've always associated fiction with psychology. I mean, what you're getting is the author's psychology. Because the author is constructing an environment and the psychology is the individuals in the environment. Sure, yeah. Which oftentimes I really feel... But is he concerned with that, or is he just concerned with writing a, a whopping story that uh, that he hopes that a lot of people are going to buy? Well, the latter is perhaps less important than the former, but I think the... But there, in order to have a story that will hold people, or at least... I mean, now books are so heavily written for readers... That they really are a very curious thing. That's interesting. But of course, that was the idea to begin with, but somehow it's, it's, become it's more been extreme. transcended now. Well, it's I think readers have shrunk as a population. Itself. I mean, that's why I like reading. <laughs> if I read any fiction, I like reading pulp fiction of the late 40s, early 50s, yeah. because that was the period of time where almost everyone read as a hobby, as a thing that they did. So the quality of the writing yeah. was distinctly different than what gets served up now for a far elitist kind of group that I always feel uncomfortable, you know, pursuing yeah. cognitively. Yeah. Book so, clubs. Yeah. Book, books uh, meetups. Yeah. <laughs> so, yes. No, you... It's interesting because this, these parts of your life associated with, you know, groups in LA in the late 70s, early 80s, but also this Manhattan Beach scene is something that I guess exists and resonates with me. It's a bit like 1970s Paris. Like whenever I find stuff, I've got books on my shelf associated with, you know, late 60s, early 70s Paris and the kind of revolutionary discussions, you know, these terrorist red faction things and the, the links with Berlin and all this kind of stuff. This is a space that I feel comfortable in. And similarly, as you describe Manhattan Beach and as you describe these early 80s kinds of things, you're, yeah. The fellow who I helped you find, what, probably a year John ago? John Holmdahl. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yes. He, You're still going strong, man. He's out there doing his shit, man. Yeah, just yeah. different shit. Yeah. Yeah. But he's doing it. That's the thing, you yes. know. He's um, traveling around, talking, and <sighs> got to respect that. No, you don't have to, I suppose, but... <laughs> Yes, I've had connections with young documentary makers. I mean, when I'm talking about young, I'm talking about when they first started communicating with me, they were in their early 20s. Uh, and it's interesting seeing the directions that they've gone. Uh, a couple in particular, one based in New York and one based in the Midwest. And you just read these kind of ongoing experiences of the, they'll put out short films, they'll see how they're, you know. But I mean, returning to Connor's question, associated with age and potentially wisdom. These are young folk that are so instigatory in their areas that I will give them the time of day and credit far greater. And a lot of this... Oh, hell yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Age is just one factor. That's all. It's a factor to be considered, period. How how you weigh it in a particular case should be unique to that case. Certainly, certainly. But it's, it's crucial in some cases. But even the documentary as a form is something that I think is increasingly difficult to actually produce and certainly make a career out of. Oh, yeah. Well, but again, that's, yeah. It's easy to do, but it's easier to do than ever before. <laughs> well, that in and of itself is a problem because distinguishing yourself from that large crowd is a... Well, it depends on how good you are. <laughs> Well, uh, luck, unfortunately, also plays a heavy well, that's, role. Well, that's part of it, too. Yeah, yeah. that's part of it. But it helps if you have a unique, if you have an ability to 
to do it in a way that is compelling to people. Yes. And, you know, you can do that with your iPhone camera. If you have a steady hair. Well, you don't even really need that. I mean, it depends on what kind of movie you're going to make, I guess. Yes. You've obviously could be about never a seen guy, any of my movies with yeah, my own steady hair. it could be about a, a guy with palsy, you know? Yeah, I don't even think a, <laughs> a movie of a guy with palsy where it was the main shtick would get my movies through, Aaron, but... Thanks for thinking of uh, me. Well, yes. Yeah. I did mention, actually, in our last recording that I'm going to set up cameras for this model rail radio hundred. Yeah. And I set up a mailing list through the week, actually, which is now at 20 locals that are going to be doing stuff for it. So we may actually have well more than 20 people come through. Wow. Wow. But I think once I move to video, and in fact, I installed lights today in my, or yesterday in well, my... I have a, yeah, a real st- a sound stage. <laughs> well, yes, I'm, yeah, a, a physical what are you gonna, you gonna, What kind of camera are you going to use? And because it's all got to be uh, web broadcast, I'm using an HD web camera. So you're, oh, you're doing it live? Yes. Yeah. Okay, yeah. Which cool. means sometime in the future... And how much does a camera like that cost? Uh, this is, a, this is 1080, bucks. right? 1080p? Uh, it's higher than 1080. I think it's... Oh, cool. Yeah. 4K? Well, it's anyway... 4K. It's, it's in between. It's that anyway, 1980 standard or whatever. Yeah, okay, whatever. Okay, yeah. yeah. So it looks pretty good. It looks reasonable, and under good lighting, which we have currently. I mean, what will happen, because I'm going to have it on and set up, is for these Stone Ape recordings, for the really super hardcore fans that don't mind interrupting and these kind of things, I can let you know... <laughs> when the stone ape feed is when the stone apes are going to be recorded and and hook you in now it'll only have my audio which no that should be for people who pay a premium oh come on <laughs> i should pay people to look at my ugly mug <laughs> pay a premium well, just i'll pay your health idea. insurance costs for the next three just months if you guys want to support us so that we can do this shit you know sit here i can sit here and drink this wine you know and <laughs> yes. Well, you've got so, a birthday coming up, Heron. I've got to think do? very heavily about what I actually get you this year. Oh, yeah. Good luck. Yes. <laughs> Listen, I will relieve you of any obligation to do anything. But if you want to, I'm it'll... going to. What do you mean if you want to? See, I wouldn't do anything like that. Clearly. But I, you know... <laughs> see? Your yeah. reaction was sufficiently and genuinely pleased... At the gift that oh, I got you last Oh, it was very nice. It yeah. was it was so nice to get an unexpected gift. Yeah, you know. And as I'm not going to mention this again, it will be an unexpected gift when you get it. <laughs> <laughs> oh, good! I can't wait for another unexpected gift. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, if, if folks are interested in getting uh, Aaron a birthday <laughs> gift, contact me. Show oh. your appreciation. Oh. And well, and as I sit here. You know, I I think as a tribute to you, I should go fill this one more time. Oh, very good. And this will be the final glass of wine for the evening. (laughs) Hurling Heronstone no more, ladies and gentlemen. (laughs) Oh, no. This will be the final glass. And I didn't even quite fill it as high as I normally do. Very good, Heron. Because it's a nice big glass, and Mm. it holds more than my old glass did. It doesn't look as good, but it holds more. (laughs) I was very appreciative of the comparison photos that I guess cropped up roughly a month ago. I guess one evening you just thought you'd take a, a comparison photo of that was that. quite some time ago that was months that was shortly after i got him and you just saw him i did maybe you reposted the same photos it was only a, a month ago. really yeah and you where did you see it in your feed i think you might have posted it to the stone the, the, the two photographs of the of, of the or yeah of the glasses next to each other well i think there was this one photograph of them next or, to each other maybe or, you re, re- resubmitted it to the stone Age yeah Facebook. ah whatever i yeah. don't 
Anyway, anyway, I, I really appreciate these because I use them uh, every week. Certainly, certainly. So I don't know if I'll follow. And up I haven't thing. broken one yet either. Yes, <laughs> which is amazing based on previous. Uh... <laughs> yes, it is interesting. Actually, the I don't know. I don't even know how one frames this. I've reflected, particularly in my recent discussions with Bruce Damon, but we've also talked about it previously. Um, associated with kind of cognitive exploration. I do, I am concerned in some regard, particularly also because I spoke to my mother just before I spoke to you and recounted some of the discussion with Bruce Damer and my mother said very proudly, well, you know, you've always been without substances and these kind of things. And I thought to myself, this thing is getting a bit too much like a religion, you know. What thing? Well, the fact that I don't, I don't drink alcohol, I don't even drink caffeine anymore. I mean, I'm very yeah. normal and I haven't drunk alcohol for more than 10 years. Yes, so I mean, under no circumstances, not just that situations don't arise. You just no, I, I don't drink alcohol. In fact, it's just a rule. You, it you it don't, came up recently. Yeah. Because, Was alcohol a problem at some point? Um, so this is where it gets interesting. I I so I don't smoke anymore, mm -hmm. and I'm not going to smoke again. Yes, I historically suffered and still do. I mean, I suffer from it currently with low light depression, and it's something that I'm aware of for a short period of time. When I was in the UK, I took antidepressants for it. And alcohol aggravates this somehow. I uh, well, it's just something that I wanted to stop at the time. I'd also had some yeah. stomach ailments. Yeah. Uh, my family does have a problem with alcohol. I come from a family of heavy drinkers. I have an uncle yeah. who, and his, now his offspring, have kind of carried on yeah. this family tradition. And I think... <laughs> okay, so you're, you're looking around and going, mm-hmm. <laughs> but the thing that strikes me is that I've been... I can't... I can't excuse how lucky I've been. No, there's no, we're all lucky. Yeah. But no, I mean, I really can't excuse because I've had periods in my life where I've been basically destitute. And I've had periods in my life where nothing has held together and all my schemes and wild plans yeah, have just completely yeah. unraveled. Yeah. And, and, you, and you survive somehow. I survive somehow. But I sense that if, that alcohol, certainly in, you know, people yeah. I have known's life, has been an additional unraveler in these circumstances. Yeah, yeah. And I don't necessarily want to preach on this, and I'm certainly not a wowser in that way. Yeah. But I do feel that my, and I feel But see, it's not the drug. Mm -hmm. It's, it's the, it's the person taking the drug for the purposes they're taking it for well, that is the problem. I drink basically once a week. Mm -hmm. And, um, so alcohol, you know, it's fun. <laughs> you know. But I think the drug for certain people needs to be acknowledged as well. Oh, it's, yeah, it's but for other people, it, no, but yeah. you're right. For other people can destroy their lives with any drug, though. It's not just alcohol. They can Certainly. destroy their lives with food. Yeah. They can destroy their lives with any damn thing they want to if that's what they want to do. And alcohol is a great one if you want to do that. Certainly. And it's very plentiful. But it's not alcohol. Mm. Yes. But I've certainly thought this... And I guess here my experiences come through a close friend who, you know, I knew through my mid to late teens. Well, knew up until my late teens and then have periodically contacted. And the ebbs and flows of his life seem to indicate that, you know, I've had a number of experiences, but not through traditional psychedelics or these kind of means. In fact, what's interesting is... <laughs> I'm talking about Traditional psychedelics. That's a really interesting juxtaposition. Well, <laughs> My I mean, spiritual most advisor. People, most people wouldn't agree with well, that. Well, my spiritual advisor, <laughs> except, uh, except, 
Except the people who take drugs. You, should, well, you see, my spiritual advisor was a deadhead. And my spiritual advisor basically has explored all kinds of these spaces and also believes very strongly that I have no need for these spaces because of the way I am. And well, that, again, that's irrelevant, too. It's as irrelevant as what you think. <laughs> well, what's interesting here is that I have, in, in my immediate friendship group, a majority of these people, and I will include you in this as well, are what is loosely termed in the psychedelic community as psychonauts, people who explore psychedelics but also use it in terms of not just recreationally, but use it in terms of, you know, attempting to build. Yeah, recreation is bullshit. Mm. Well, it's not bullshit. That's, that's, that's the, well, that's one way to use it, you know? Yeah. Mm. It, yeah. But actually, I don't even find it recreational. I find alcohol is recreational. Mm. If I, if I went to a party where there were a whole bunch of people I had to, you know, humans, language monkeys mm-hmm. that I had to deal with, I hope they have some wine. Mm. Not, uh, fucking not psychedelics, Jesus Christ. (laughs) But I guess, I guess the modes of my thinking and also the spaces that I've explored through, you know, developing Noble Ape and a wide variety of other things have actually lend me to having coherent discussions with people who have explored these spaces for a variety of reasons. Well, there are overlaps in lots of ways. Yeah, that's the challenge is to find, find ways to productively communicate uh, in these different domains. Certainly. And certainly I encounter people who have a, it, what I guess is termed, I hate using this term though, a zero tolerance for these kind of things and they will naturally move away from people. Zero tolerance? What do you mean? I mean companies that do drug testing? No, that- individuals that do not interact with people who, you know, have taken substances and... Who do had, not yes. interact with people who have taken substances? Yes. Psychedelic substance. <laughs> Psychedelic. <laughs> How the hell do they know? You can tell very quickly, I well, think. Well, but those kind of people, you would think they couldn't. You might be able to tell, and I might be able to tell. Well, the interesting thing is, actually, it's not ever been... It's never been an obstacle for me. It's a bit like gay, in some kind of curious way, that... <laughs> you know, the kind of people yeah. who may be homophobes are certainly... Yeah, yeah there's some people the, you just can't be sure about. Yeah. <laughs> That's for sure. Yeah. But, you know, it's the way they dress. It's these kind of well, things. Well, you never that, know yeah. what it is, you yeah. know? I mean, that's the thing is it would you can't just pin it down. There are some people that are just ambiguous somehow. Mm. And so you just don't ask. <laughs> yeah. Or you do, if the circumstances are right, I suppose. Certainly. Yeah, I don't want to be a person of absolutes, but I guess my life has created these absolutes for me for now. Well, that's fine. Mm. (laughs) You know, I mean, that sort of changes the idea of absolutes a little bit, but that's that's the point, isn't it? Yes. If it's an absolute, if you've decided it's an absolute, and... There isn't any place else to look for authority. Through our last discussion, it was something that I heard with Bruce Damer as well. The exploration of, and this really is Cotisite's bone question too, the ability to explore spaces and to get a certain degree of depth in a variety of areas is a quality that I look for. And also it appears to be a quality that has some overlap with these psychedelic folk and psychedelic communities. But I do wonder, and I've said, I'm just reiterating exactly what I said last recording, whether this is a function of, uh, 
just people being more likely to be in these spaces or whether it is something that is kind of a, a kindred universality through this. Well, to me, this all relates to the idea of Earth waking up. Mm. Yeah, that, uh, that the planet, that, that what we're witnessing is not really a species bound phenomenon but this is part of earth's development and we are subsystems that are undergoing this entire transformation of the whole system into some sort of conscious entity of some sort yes at least that's my story (laughs) but that's not a bad story there's a lot of places you can go with that you know that, that allow you to sort of look at it and try and try and figure out whether it makes sense or not you know so through the week and I don't know what it's called here. It's called Veterans Day, I think, isn't it? What's the day? Yeah, I think that's it. Yeah, yeah. It's Veterans Day, right? Yes. I woke up in the morning and for some reason checked my bank account. You see, in Australia, it's called Armistice Day because it remembers the end of the First that. Yeah, and that's what it does here, too. And they used to call it Armistice Day, but somehow they changed it, you know, some right-wing fascist probably decided it should be veterans day it's an american holiday damn it yeah yeah and the thing about armistice day was i mean the way that i remember it is that it was the war to end all wars and it was supposed (laughs) to be the war to end all wars what a great idea that was yeah yeah until the next war comes (laughs) wonderful idea yeah yeah so In logging into my bank account, Bank of America showed me a picture of a man who may or may not be a veteran. He could be just some cardboard cutout they put up there. (laughs) Holding up a sign saying... A clip art collection. Yes. The current veterans thank future veterans. Which... (laughs) Oh, yes, yes, I remember this Which enticed me (laughs) no end. In fact, it disturbed me. Really, you know, that's so good. That's a great insight, you know? Yes. That's awesome. I really appreciate that because you're right. They just assume that's the assumption people have going forward is that, well, you know, things are always going to be this way. Yeah. 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 This is it. This is it. This is it. There's no other possibilities. You know, screw it. You know, this Mm. is going to be more of the same. Hmm. A Bad story. Yes. A gentleman then posted something associated with how this was always going to be the way, and I typed Q Heron Stone, at which point you typed no thanks, which I thought made me realize <laughs> yeah, that... I remember that one, yeah. <laughs> even Heron had his limits, and I had worn his limits thin. <laughs> no, yeah, and no, I just don't have... T- listen, I have limited amount of time, and, uh, you know, I, I try to apply it where I think it might do some good. Yes. Heron... <laughs> is, hey, is there no more stuff coming out of that you know, I can remember the name of the place now, but all, all the war footage you were posting. Oh, so this is where it gets interesting. Um, Have they dried up? Vice has continued. So what's happened in um, in the Ukraine is the existing powers that be decided to declare a truce and allow the autonomous states to exist because basically they couldn't win. Uh, the, the Ukraine couldn't win. And the autonomous states then conducted referendum to say that they were no longer part of the Ukraine and dot, dot, yeah. dot, they'll probably join with yeah. Russia. And then the Ukraine really, I mean, the whole thing is just so... <laughs> 
but so human. In, in generating compelling footage, I'm honestly a little bored with the whole thing because I think it's gotten to a stage now where it's almost like some kind mm-hmm. of reality television show. What Vice <laughs> has been posting... An ongoing story. Yeah, what yeah. Vice has been posting is that they yeah. created a tribunal which is actually like a, a voting court and they sentenced a fellow to death where all the townsfolk got together and voted on whether or not he should be killed for raping someone. And this video went viral, and then they went back and interviewed the various participants. I think the circumstances... in Well, that sounds like that could be compelling footage, actually. Mm. The problem is that... um, Well, it could be. Again, it depends on the quality of of the filmmakers. It's one of these conflicts where already about 20,000 people have been killed, and unfortunately, Vice's coverage has just become a little scatty. Vice also, for a short... What else could it be? Well, like the coverage that it was initially, which appeared to be considerably better. I think they pulled back one of their correspondents, so they can only get half the footage. And the fellow who they had there, who, who what they had there, who I had historically liked, has just been there a little bit too long. He's <laughs> he has existing relationships. He's got his the... thing going, and he's yeah. doing it. <laughs> yeah, and it's not yeah. really that compelling. The stuff yeah, that's coming yeah. out of Syria uh, and their connection with um, the Free Syrian Army, not ISIS or um, Assad's. Shit, there's so many. I don't know how anybody can make any sense out of any of that shit. Well, I mean, who the hell knows? Who the fuck is out there doing what? Yet we're sending our tax dollars. <laughs> I mean, you know. We're just arming ISIS so we can fight them, so we can arm them, so we can fight yeah, them. So yeah, the whole thing them. is just absolutely insane. Yeah. Oh, God. Yeah, the, the uh, potential overthrow in Lebanon, but also them crossing... I mean, if they cross the Saudi line, obviously the US is going to go in <laughs> boots on the ground and do what needs to happen. I'm just so... You know, it's so exhausting. Well, again, this is uh, this is just, I think, what you would expect to see uh, in a transition between two world systems. Except, huh? except the problem is that there's only really one world system here. Well, right now, there's what is. There's there's the reality, whatever the fuck mm. it is, which isn't a language system, which is. The sum total of energies of humans and shit and crap all over the world. Mm. Now, we're going to organize the way it is. Uh, and that's under tremendous pressure to change. Mm. And it needs to be organized on a global scale, scale, and it hasn't before. It's been national, or and those systems no longer function. So it's about this transition from this national organization of information to a global system. I had quite a candid discussion with my co-workers earlier this week associated with conscription and the potential for the draft to be reintroduced, Mm. in large part because I've renewed my green card because the draft is part of the citizenship documentation. (laughs) So are you actually uh, subject to the draft? If I was to become a citizen, I would go to the front of the line. Really? Yeah. Even at your age? Well, in the Second World War, they conscripted people into their mid-40s. Yeah, but I'm talking about now. My perspective is currently because the military has been in atrophy for at least the past eight years. (laughs) And the private military has been you know, they leave the military, some join the private military. But the problem is the kinds of wars that they will be looking to fight, particularly with ISIS, 
oh, seems yeah. to indicate that they will need a military that just doesn't exist currently. No, drone pilots is what they need. Well, no, drone pilots is not successful at all. In fact, what's particularly curious over the current bombings is the ratio of civilians is far higher to actual ISIS. Oh, well, okay. Well, then they need uh, they need better intelligence then too. That well, would how help, are they going to get? Suppose. They have no means of getting yeah. better intelligence. Yeah, uh, actually, well, yeah. Well, none that they know of yet. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, one of one of my favourite tipping point scenarios is associated with the introduction of conscription in this country. And I think... Well, that's what got me in the service. <laughs> yes, but I don't think the current millennial generation... I, I don't think that story is going to continue. You I think don't, they're going to start conscription again? If they start conscription, I think they're going to move into a phase of potentially very strong oh, counter, that, you yeah. know, the Black Panther fear, but in well, London, Black Panther's basically a wide variety of uh, strange... Oh, that's bad press, too, all over the world. You know? look, look at what they're doing in America. Yeah. <laughs> well, uh, it's funny because conscription is a phenomenon. Has been, I mean, France no longer has conscription, uh, and a number of countries have reduced the limits in terms of Israel has reduced the limits in terms of national service. So See, that's such a different thing too. The idea of national service. Mm. Yeah, I, I think that's a gr- a good idea. Mm. I, th- I think that I think that's a really good idea that citizens should spend some time in service to their own country. But uh, yeah, this is where it's all. I've always found your <laughs> not views. not necessarily with with M sixteen. But as as bridge building skills are relatively low, I well, but those are the thing. Those are precisely the things that we need. Again, yeah. that's the, if we were reasonable, we have all this infrastructure. You put these people to some some useful function. Mm. It's set up for that. They're ideal. Yeah. So Put him to work. <laughs> as, as you may know, my father lives in Hong Kong, and through the recent uh, riots and inverted commas in Hong Kong, I also have yeah. Chinese co-workers. I was talking with one of my Chinese co-workers <laughs> associated with this, and I said to her that I thought the she did national service in China when she was there, yeah. uh, which was basically a year in of China. filling sandbags. Yes. China, meaning China, not Hong Kong. No, China, not yeah. Hong Kong. She wasn't, uh, my, but most all my co workers. And, and they had how, many, how much service a year? I think it was a year for women and maybe a year and a half for men. Okay. Um, anyway, I made the point that national service is actually a good way of stopping youthful revolution. Oh, and so if you eliminate a lot of things. Yeah. Well,. <laughs> Anyway, so I was talking with my co-workers, different group of co-workers associated with this idea of conscription, and all of them had gone through the same thought process I had gone through associated with conscription. Mm-hmm. Uh, these are American nationals as well, although there was an interesting blend. From where? All from China? No. Uh, although in this discussion, uh, the, aside from me, the non-American nationals were from China. Yeah. But... The thought process, the exper- the thought experiment associated with where are we currently, where are we going, what will this introduce conscription, what will happen if conscription is introduced, this will result in violent revolution. Oh, it seems not to in be America. Not, not <laughs> a far cry in terms of the third... And I'm sure that the intelligence community, which has historically been very scared in this country of these kind of ideas, is probably doing the same thought experiments. I mean, one of, the, one of the curious things about the total war that we find ourselves in currently is that there are no outs. The evil doers keep getting more evil. 
And we're we're running out of gris for the, you know, for the mills. So, yeah, it's a curious set of thought experiments that appears I am not alone in my thinking of. I'm not quite clear what we're talking about. You're talking about what the mass of humanity thinks? Is that what you're talking about? The people who watch Fox News? No, no, not at all. My peers don't watch Fox News. I'm talking about independent thinkers have already seen where we are, seen where we've moved historically, seen in particular the cycle of funding associated with, let's just say, ISIS. I mean, the cycle of funding for ISIS is far tighter funding to... The cycle of funding. I'm not sure what that means. Okay, so in the 70s and 80s, the US contributed vast sums of money to madrasas and other uh, organizations in Pakistan and Afghanistan in order to fight the Soviets. <laughs> From that period of time to 9-11 uh-huh. was a certain period of time. Okay, so a whole bunch of money and mm-hmm. weapons and all sorts of shit mm-hmm. went over there mm-hmm. by us for whatever reason, whatever. And okay, so... And a few years later, 9-11. Yeah. The cycle yeah. of funding, both explicit and accidental for ISIS, is a period of about eight years, whereas the cycle of funding for Al-Qaeda was a period of, um, you know, 20, give or take, years. So the perspective is that the... And this is a testing thing. I mean, if you read the history of how these organizations were funded, the Mujahideen, historically, there was a lot of discussion at the time associated with the potential blowback of giving (laughs) these guys money. (laughs) But what you see with ISIS... Yeah, they were obsessed with uh, stopping the Soviet Union. But what you see with ISIS now and what you see associated with funding, you know, apparently independent Syrians, but mysteriously ISIS frequently, is that the conversations that are... Well, but calling it ISIS is a little misleading at this point, because that wasn't what it was at that point. It's the same people with the same agenda, but uh, they hadn't declared themselves at that point. Well, depending on what you read and who you talk to, they're still the same people. Yes, that's what I'm saying. Called, the the Mujahideen wasn't called Al-Qaeda when the money went yeah, that's to what I'm, That's what I'm saying, yeah. is that it's not so simple as just throwing these names out. Okay. No, they're individuals and they're all evaluated, you know, <laughs> well or not. <laughs> the evaluation yeah. that went into, and this obviously is historical as well, and it's certainly the evaluation after 9-11 was far greater than the evaluation prior <laughs> to 9-11. Apparently, let's hope. Apparently. <laughs> Except it wasn't internally. I mean, within these intelligence agencies, CIA, for example, it has a very curious and long history. They probably figured they already knew everything. Exactly. Right? Yes, we already know. Oh, this yeah. shit. There's no point in looking in here. But the cycle of funding in terms of from giving sums of money and weapons to this being the next obstacle that we have to kill and wipe off the face of the earth, funnily enough, now using American weapons, is getting smaller. So if you see a logical projection in these kind of steps... The next group that we fund will probably be within, well, it went from 20 years to 8 years to potentially 4 years, maybe 3 years. And after that period of funding, the the intelligence (laughs) cycle obviously doesn't have the means to assess the dangers of doing this. In fact, this seems to be what's happening currently. Well, they never have anyway. Well, I mean... that's what history is. You know, if they actually knew what the fuck they were doing, Certainly. there wouldn't be anything to yeah. write about. But this is becoming more extreme in a very curious way, that the cycle of funding is actually getting tighter and tighter and tighter. Yes, and less and less predictable. Exactly. <laughs> 
So even if you're not... Well, you'd think they'd catch on eventually. <laughs> well, clearly not. In fact, this seems to be... The opposite seems to be the case. They catch on less. <laughs> well, if they're not laughing, then I'm sorry for them. <laughs> well, yeah. I think the nature of the industrial military complex that is about people typically in the Washington area going to work and being employed and coming home and going to work. Yeah, and being yeah they got that whole thing home. to keep it going. Exactly. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And in parallel to this, there are actually large uh, parts yeah. of the world that yeah. are breeding these, you know, Medusa like entities that oh, are yeah, just yeah. That are, continuing. That are seething in, uh, in hunger and starvation yeah. and anger yeah. and. Uh, and there they are. And atrocities, war crimes, all these yeah, kind of things. All sorts of shit this going on. Yeah, 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 all this shit. Well, like I say, it's uh, going to be in the next few decades ought to be quite interesting. Mm. <laughs> and through this, I think, actually, as you, t- as you talk about butterfly caterpillar, yeah. the butterfly elements are already being seeded in a certain oh, okay. part of the population. Oh, and this yeah. is really what I was talking it's about. It's all associated here. With well, the, clearly the internet is part yeah. of it. <laughs> you know, what we're doing right now is uh, has a lot to do with the butterfly and, and, and actually quite a bit to do with caterpillar, too. Mm. But, um, yeah. I, I want to say it's not the... What we've talked about associated with the inquiring mind, the need to know more, the depth that you want to explore something. If you start in any of these areas associated with, you know, funding groups, where these groups come from, what's the history of these groups, why are these groups doing these things, that kind of insight, which increasingly is seen by a group of people as a survival insight, is something that is actually propagating. And it's an interesting thing that I am tracking independently because I think this possibly could be a means of communication with a broad audience. To have a coherent counter-narrative in the face of what is going on currently, and we've been talking about this for four years, Yeah, but it's yeah. very important, and it's something yeah, that I think yeah, people are Coming up for. with a good story yeah. <laughs> is crucial. A remotely yeah. coherent story. Well, it's got to it's, it's really work. It's got to yeah. be a good fucking story. It's got to It's got to hold up. Yes. But it's got to make the point that it's a story. I mean, that, that, that almost is the story. Yeah. Is that it's just a story. You know, that's it. You don't know what reality really is. Give up. If you think you know, you're a fucking idiot. You don't know. You got your story. Bring your story to the table with everybody else's and let's figure this out. And without that, like I said, I mean, that's so simple. It's, it's just so simple. We can, we can work with that. You know, I can work with that. Yeah. It is one of the few things that we have to, yeah, that we, it's one of the few um, tangible things that we can hope about for the future. That the need for groups to get together and share stories. Yeah. If nothing more to resolve apparent contradictions. Well, apparent, explore the yeah. space. Let's look at it. You yeah. got again. It's a kind of humility. It yeah. really it takes humility to get that you don't have the fucking truth about reality. Yeah. All you have is your story. Yeah. It may be a good one. Let's hear it. Yeah. <laughs> but outside of that space. Anyone coming in thinking they know what the truth really is? I mean, that's that is a, a form, that's insanity. That's a form of insanity. Mm. But it's heavily supported insanity. Well, it's standard consciousness on this planet right now. Ninety-eight mm. percent 
probably, I don't know what, 95, 98% of people live in that space. Yes. And they're not in that space. Well, they're brought up to accept that. This is what reality is. Here's the story. And this story is the way the reality really the is. (laughs) Aaron, I think we've reached a logical conclusion. (laughs) You may be right. I have nothing more to add, and it's been a long week. (laughs) Well, good. The week has been a long... Well, I don't know. Is that good? A long week. Really? Has it been a long week? (laughs) It has been a long week. (laughs) Oh, okay. Yeah, it has been for me, too. Uh, You know, moving to this new office and trying to straighten this other group out, it's uh, it's been trying to. So I understand. Very good. Until next week, Harry. Okay. Good night. Take care.